0: Go ahead and open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. That's where we're going to find ourselves in our text. It's going to be a little bit of a different morning from the sermon standpoint. Uh, Normally we go about 35-40 minutes. Today I've got a a 25 minutes or so. And the reason it's shorter is we want to leave time for you all to be together uh, as a fellowship. So you can see the the food that's been brought in uh, on both sides of the room. Some of you said, oh man, I meant to bring something. I didn't bring something feel free to stay anyway. In fact, we're going to encourage everyone to hang around. We're going to end the service intentionally early just so you have time to mix and mingle and grab a bite to eat. Even if you didn't bring something, we've got plenty of food. I'll give you instructions for that in about 25 minutes. But between now and then, I'd like to read to you my favorite Christmas passage. It's in Isaiah chapter 9. In fact, this passage, uh, the, the, the older I get and the more Christmases I have, and I, I know I'm, I'm still on the younger side of things, and, and some of you have reminded me of that from time to time. But the older I do get, the more I realize I need this passage every year. And I want to explain to you this morning why I believe I need this passage and why I think you need this passage as well. And here's the main reason for me. I get crazy this season now, part of that's because I'm a pastor, and like, you know, if you're a pastor, it's kind of like, uh, like uh, April for an accountant. You know what I mean? Like, December is crazy for pastors. But beyond that, I, even before I was a pastor, this, this time of year is just push, push, push. Your calendars are filled. Like, you, there, there's a strain on your wallet. There's a strain on your, your, your sense of sanity. Uh, and a lot of it's good right we we love it you know not not everyone loves this christmas season but but a lot of us do it's beautiful we've got traditions we get to eat good food and watch funny movies and we love all that stuff nothing wrong with all that stuff but it tends to drive us to a place where we're worn out by the end where we're kind of just ready for it to be over and we usually end the season more impoverished in soul than we were when we started and this should not be The Advent season was set aside for the nourishment of our spiritual lives. And somehow it's kind of been overtaken by all this other great stuff. Now Isaiah brings us back to where we need to be because it places the Christmas story in the context of the bigger story of the grand narrative of Scripture that we find ourselves caught up in. So here's a few things that I bet are going to happen to you over the next three weeks. You will get too busy. You will run too fast. You will spend too much, some of you. You will eat too much, maybe nearly all of us, starting this morning, by the way. Uh, your kids will go crazy on you. Things will not happen the way you want them to happen. You'll have a lot of expectations that will not be met, okay? I can tell you all those things are going to happen to you at the end of the day. However, what I hope and pray will happen is that your soul and your spirit will be nourished over the next three weeks. That won't happen unless you make some intentional decisions. And so what I want to share with you from this text, I'll just go through it briefly, and I don't have time for a full exposition, but I want to share with you four thoughts, kind of devotional thoughts from this text that I think can help us in the next few weeks to not just go crazy with all the craziness, but to be spiritually nourished as well. But let me read this text, and I'm just going to read it a verse at a time, make a couple comments, then I'll get to those four thoughts. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on... He shall make it glorious by way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles." Now, that doesn't mean much to you unless you know the historical context. Isaiah was writing this uh, somewhere around A.D. 700, a a little bit earlier than that. Now, what was happening in this context is that the two kingdoms, so the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, were both going to pot. I mean, they were really declining. In fact, just not long after Isaiah spoke or wrote these words, the northern kingdom was going to be wiped out by the Assyrians. And so the threat of danger from all sides, the the decline spiritually, the decline physically, the decline in their wealth was palpable to these people. And Isaiah's message, if you read the whole book, is mostly a message of judgment because God had been so patient with these people through hundreds of years. They'd been in the promised land at this point by about 700 years. And over and over and over and over again, God had reminded them of the covenant of what their responsibility was, and they had failed time and time and time again, and they chased other gods, and, and they'd gone after all the things that God told them not to, and he was so patient. Now it is the time for him to discipline them. And Isaiah's primary message throughout the book is a message of judgment, a message of discipline. But every now and then, God gives them these future brilliant pictures of hope. And this is one of those. Right? So the, the the land up up north, you know, so the tribes that are mentioned here specifically, Zebulun and Naphtali, that represents all of the northern kingdom, is just sort of representative of those. Even though they're crying now, they're about to be in deeper sorrow, there will be a day that he will make it glorious. Now, don't miss the fact we've been spending all this time in Mark. Where is Jesus' ministry taking place? The same region, Galilee. Right, This is where two-thirds of Jesus' ministry happens in Galilee. And this was prophesied 700 years before it happened. It's for this region because they bore the brunt of God's judgment in these times. And so he's going to make it glorious is the promise. Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Think about the imagery that the gospel writer John uses He describes Jesus as the light of the world, right? This was dipping back into Isaiah's prophecy. It's dark now, and guess what? When Isaiah was writing this, it's going to get a lot darker. But one day... The light will come. So we've intentionally designed this room over the next three weeks that you can't miss the lights. (laughs) You can't miss the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. And yes, that has global implications as well as we'll be unpacking over the next couple of weeks. Verse three. You, he's talking now to God, you shall multiply the nation you shall increase their gladness they will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil listen briefly this was a time in Israel's history where this was written where there was not bountiful food it was not a land of plenty at this point in history God had been true to his promise that if the nation of Israel did not obey him that he would not bless their harvest in order to remind them who their should be dependent on and now they're at a place where they were you know, probably taking whatever leeks and turnips and other things they had and dividing them up throughout the day and and, 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 and it was that level of poverty that they were facing even as the Assyrians were bearing down on them soon to come Isaiah is saying there's going to be a day where there will be a harvest of plenty in the future verse 4 for you God shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders the rod of their oppressor As at the battle of Midian. So, what he's saying here is not just will there be a harvest, but there's gonna be a release from prison now they're not yet prisoners but they're about to be both the Assyrian army is going to come and and conquer the northern kingdom and then a little while later the Babylonian army is going to come and take out the southern kingdom including Jerusalem they're all going to be prisoners and he's proclaiming a release from captivity before the captivity has even started isn't that interesting the battle of Midian by the way that's a reference to Gideon if you recall, Gideon went to war uh, against the Midianites and God said, Gideon, you know you got too many people in your army. You're not gonna trust me to the, for the victory. You're gonna trust your own resources. So get rid of a lot of your army. And then again, you still have too much, Gideon. Get rid of some of those folks. And so Gideon went to war with this tiny ragbag band and was victorious, not through his own might, but through God's might. And this is a reminder that when you're set free, Israel, it's gonna be from me, not from you, who will have done this. Verse 5, For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Uh, Merry Christmas, right? Uh, Like, Rob, you're crazy. This is your favorite Christmas passage. Um, Here's what this is. This is actually beautiful if you think about what's happening. The the prophet is is prophesying into the future and he's saying there'll be a day where there's no more need for the boots that the warriors wear and all the cloaks that have been bloodstained in battle. You won't need those cloaks anymore. It's all gonna be tossed into a fire and it will provide light and it will provide warmth. There's gonna be no need for the things of warfare because there'll be no more war. It's a beautiful image if you think about it in the future. A day when there's no more war. Now, all that or promises that's going to come, and starting in verse 6, which is the familiar part of the passage, you're going to get the reason that all those things are going to happen. And it's a bit of a surprising reason. Look at verse 6. For, or because, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Amen is right. Now, the baby is the key It's everything changing. And when you really understand this passage, you see it's so much bigger than just the judgment of Israel. It's so much bigger than the Assyrians and the Babylonians. It actually speaks to the judgment on the earth that's been true since Genesis chapter 3 and will only, only turn around completely when the sun comes back a second time, which is still in our future. So here are four thoughts for us. The first is related to this idea that I just shared with you. So my four suggestions for you of how to stay spiritually grounded and nurtured during this season. Number one, look forward, not just at your past and the present. Look forward, not just backward, and and not just at at, at what is right now here. Uh, Where do I get this from? Did you notice in the text that there's nothing in here that promises relief from the Assyrians? Not not today. In fact, it wouldn't even be 700 years before any of this comes true. And there's a lot of it in this passage that even 2,000 years after the baby was born, we're still waiting on. Are there no more wars yet? No. Just for Israel herself, right? They're at war constantly not to mention all the other wars all around the world. Uh, How about this idea of the king whose government will never end and there'll be no end to his peace? That's not here in full. It's still yet to come. This whole passage looks forward. And so when we're in Christmas, we we, we tend to really just be focused on what what happened in the past 2,000 years ago, and and, in good we should, and then our present circumstances and we get all wrapped up and having the perfect Christmas and family getting along and all those kinds of things, we don't usually think about the future. Here's what's interesting about the Advent season. Historically, it was as much about anticipating the second Advent or arrival as it was about remembering the first Advent or arrival. So when you hear the term Advent, which means arrival, It actually has a double meaning. It's not just the arrival of the baby. It's also the arrival of the conquering king, which is yet still to come. So we, just like them, look forward to the completion of these prophecies just as they were. This is a text not for that day, a text not even fully for our day. This is a text that's for the day to come. We need to be looking forward. Now, why does this matter and how will this help you? I think it sets the proper expectations for your Christmas of 2016. Let me explain. The subtle lie of the Christmas season is that if you buy the right gifts or have the right decorations and the perfect turkey and all the family comes from near and far and everyone's gathered around the fire and you make wonderful memories for your kids, that there will be this moment in time when life will be right, when all things will be well. Right? The kids will love their gifts and the, you know grandma's not gonna talk too much and you know cousin Eddie's not gonna show up, you know. It, it, the reality is it's not gonna happen. If you put your hope in this season, in this present circumstances, you're gonna be wrecked. You're gonna be ruined because it's not gonna be well, it's not gonna be right. Some of you, you know, you get so amped up this time of year, and then you, you fall off on the twenty-sixth, right? December twenty-sixth. Oh. It's hard because we have so many expectations for this season that are not met. Our eyes can't be on present circumstances, just as the eyes of the Hebrew people can't be on their present circumstances. Isaiah was directing them forward. And and God would direct our eyes forward as well, not just to our present and not even just to our past. Remember, uh, we celebrate an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but that event If it's only by itself, if it wasn't for the things that came after it and the life and death of Jesus that that Tim referenced earlier, and the things that will come when he comes back for his bride, then we actually don't really have hope. Hope's always forward-facing. Now, I noticed, uh, you know, we've already started watching Christmas specials around my house. In fact, you know, I got to admit, we watched watched one of them on uh, Thanksgiving. I mean, it was like, Thanksgiving's done, boom, Christmas special, let's do this. And uh, what I've noticed about Christmas specials is the emotion that they tap into more than any other is nostalgia. Isn't it interesting? Nothing wrong with that, by the way. And I can be a nostalgic person, right? But here's the thing about nostalgia. It really is all about, okay, well, if we could just go back to that warm feeling I had as a kid, if I could recreate some of that ideal world then I'll feel better about what's actually true about me right now right that's what nostalgia does now there's a place and a time for it there's a place and a time for all these kinds of things but if you only look backward and only look at your present circumstances and not look at your true hope which is yet to come you're going to be severely disappointed in this Christmas season so we don't just look backward we also look forward as well number two number two Make generosity rule stronger in your heart than consumerism. Y'all, this is hard for us. Um, I, I know that we in this room don't think of ourselves as overly consumer driven because, you know, we, we, we see all the stuff out there. Oh, they, they think Christmas is just about the gifts. We know it's really about Jesus. You know, good, good, you know, good for us. But, y'all, we can't help but be caught up in this. It's the water that we swim in. You can't turn on the radio or the TV or just have conversations with people or browse the internet or whatever without being bombarded with the message of consumerism, which is the key to happiness is the newer, the better, the more. So whether it's your home just looking perfect with the right decorations or it's having the right food on the table or getting that person the right gift? Are you getting the right gift? The message we're bombarded with is the secret to contentment in this season is the right purchases, spending your money on the things that will make you happy. Y'all, you know it's not true, but the only way that you can battle this war in your heart is to lean into generosity. Generosity is the antidote to the sickness of consumerism. So this is one of the reasons we do Global Christmas, It's not just for the world. It's also for our souls. We need this. We need the sacrifice. uh, What it will do in our hearts and minds when we give to the place of sacrifice, it rips an idol away from our heart and says, no, my dependence is on God. I'm going to open my hands. Now, where do we get this idea from the text? Look look back at verse 6. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Generosity is the heart of Christmas. It was God's generosity. He gave to you. So what happens is the more you understand that gift that you've been given, the more you're able to open up your hands, open up your wallets, open up your hearts, to non-consumeristic things, to generous things, and therefore you're becoming a little bit more like the God who loves you as you're generous. You're reflecting his generosity. This is one of the reasons we do Global Christmas. I I hope and pray, y'all will really pray about this, that you'll have conversations with your kids. We literally mean less under our tree means more for the world. And and many of you are are wealthy enough in this room that you can do both. You're not going to sacrifice anything under the tree, but you're also going to give. Great. But what would it be like for us as a body to say, you know what? For the good of my own soul and the sake of God's glory around the world, I'm going to give to the point of sacrifice this season. Make generosity rule stronger in your heart than consumerism. You need that for your soul. Number three, expect God to show up in unexpected ways. Uh, one of the great things I love about this passage is this big buildup, and then verse six is because a child is coming. What? H- how's a baby gonna make every boot of the booted warrior burn? You know, as <laughs> a baby, really? Um, we know the Christmas story so well, we kind of forget sometimes how crazy, unexpected, shocking that God would make his incarnate entrance on the earth as a weak baby a needy individual who's crying and needs comfort from his mother. It's a fascinating story. Now, the application for us is don't be surprised if God meets you in unexpected ways because this whole event that we're talking about was unexpected. It was expected, but it didn't happen the way it was most of the scholars of the day expected it to happen. Messiah didn't come the way they were expecting unless they read Isaiah carefully. Now, What do I mean by let God surprise you, you know, this kind of idea? Uh, Some of you are walking into this season with heaviness because life's not going well or you've had a loss or this is the first Christmas without someone that's very, very dear to you and maybe your Christmas memories growing up were really hard and and this season's just not fun for you. You kind of just get through it. I get that. I understand. It's okay. But don't be surprised if God chooses to somehow show up in wonder, in beauty? Can you make space for that, even though you're just trying to get through the season? Can you make space, even in hard circumstances, to reflect on the beauty, to let God speak to you about what this story means for you? Others of you, you're so focused on having the right Christmas and creating the right traditions and all these good things and and making everything perfect and there's got to be the right meal and the right gifts and hope everybody's happy and hope... the the relatives don't argue you're so focused on that that when things get really messy you're going to feel like it's wrong you're going to feel like it's 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 something's the the matter listen christmas was messy like the original one there was blood like there was screaming there were tears it was a wreck there was there was bloody hay like do you understand this i'm praying for you that there'll be a moment in this christmas where everything around you is just going to be a wreck and you're going to say he is my peace Not this stuff. Expect God to show up in unexpected places, in unexpected ways. That's what happens. That's the the heart of this Christmas story. And then finally, the last one. Remember that the good news of this child is personal for you. In other words, it's a big story. It's a grand story. It's a well-known story. It's not just grand and epic. It's also personal for you. It also applies to you. Fill your name in, you personally. Now, one way to personalize this good news that I've been thinking about this week is to spend some time thinking about these names of Jesus that are given here in, verses, in verse six. In fact, what I'm gonna encourage you to do this season is think about which attribute. Of Christ that's represented in these names, you need the most this season. Because of where life has you, because of your circumstances, you need to remember that there's something that is true about Jesus that you need this season. Let me read through the list and I'll give you some examples. Let's, let's look at the names. The second half of verse six. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Now, by the way, that's not like a therapist where you sit on the couch and tell tell God all your problems. That's not what the idea here is. Wonderful counselor in this context is a wise strategist. It normally was someone that that would advise the king and give him the right strategy for warfare. Uh, Typically had a military context. Some of you need Jesus to be your wonderful counselor because you don't know what to do. You're facing a decision that's bigger than you. You can't play the chess game out far enough to know. You're overwhelmed by your circumstances, and you need a wonderful counselor. You need a wise strategist to speak into your situation. Will you listen to him? Will you allow him, Jesus, to be your wonderful counselor? He is that. It's proclaimed in his name. Mighty God. That is exactly what it sounds like. He is deity. And he's in control. And some of you need to claim that name of Jesus this season because it doesn't feel like there's any control anywhere. It feels like your life's just spinning out of control. And as you let go of your instinct to try to control circumstances and open your hands in dependence to the mighty God who ultimately is in control, you will then be able to rest. And you need to focus this season, on the fact that God is mighty and he is in control. Eternal Father. This is a very, very interesting one, right? If there's Trinity, we're talking about the second person of the Trinity, who is the Son. How could he also be called Father? Well, number one, it's a Trinity. (laughs) But number two, the expression here connotes this idea that Jesus as God has a fatherly love for you, a parental love for the creation that he made. Some of you need to remember that because you're not feeling like God has a lot of affection for you. And you need to grab on to this name. He is eternal father. He is gentle and kind and full of good intentions for your life because he loves you. He is your father. Eternal Father. And then finally, Prince of Peace. My favorite Hebrew word, shalom, peace, it means wholeness. Anybody feel fractured right now? relationships are fractured, maybe finances are fractured, maybe physical health is fractured, it's not whole, maybe kids aren't where you wish they were, you want them to be. All kinds of things in your life are fractured you need a prince of shalom, you need a prince of peace, someone that can be a balm. Put it together according to his time. Some of you need Jesus as your prince of peace wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, take time this season, grab onto one of those characteristics of this savior and say, I am claiming this, this season because I need this from my savior. Ask him to show you all the ways that these things are true of him for you. Remember, the good news of this child is personal for you. Let me just review these four things and then I'll close this out. Number one, look ahead. Not just at your circumstances, not just at the nostalgic past. Look ahead to what is still yet to come. Place your hope there. That's the only place that the beautiful things that Christmas represents will actually come true in full. You ever thought about that? All the things that you love about this season, they're just shadows pointing to ultimate fulfillment that is yet to come in the future. Look forward. Number two, be intentionally generous so that you can frustrate the idolatry in your heart of new or bigger, better, more. Be intentionally generous to the point of sacrifice. Number three, expect God to encounter you in ways that you're not expecting. Open up your heart to them even if you're not looking forward to this season. And number four, personalize the good news by taking one of these names of God and making it yours over the next three weeks. Let me pray for us and then I'll give you instructions for the meal. Father, we thank you for loving us enough to give us a gift that is so above and beyond all that we could hope or ask or imagine that even 2,000 years later, we're still unpacking the implications of it. And Father, I pray for this body. I pray that as the craziness of the season overtakes us, that we would be nourished in our spirit, that we would be nourished in our knowledge of you and our hearts toward you would grow larger this season because we've been intentional about how we celebrate Advent. And I pray, Father, that we would put our hope on things that are yet to come and that we would be generous. And I pray that we would invite you to show up in unexpected ways. And I pray that we would know that this good news is for us personally in our circumstances right now. And I thank you now for the time that we have to be together as a body. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen.